I'm only 25. I'm still in university. Um, I've got two kids. I would call myself a reproductive justice activist. Obviously, we do condemn Russia and we do condemn Putin. Um, we have done so at every opportunity. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me in this interview with Amy Murren, a People Before Profit candidate for East Derry, and a particularly impressive person I found, and I'm sure you will too. I want to take a second to ask you if you could to head over to my Patreon and uh, lend me your support so I can hopefully grow this platform to give voice to leftists across Ireland and maybe further afield, who knows. Thanks a million. Enjoy the interview. Amy Murray. Hey everybody, let me introduce you to Amy Murren, who is, among other things, an activist, abortion doula, psychology student and mother. But the reason she's here talking to me today is because she's the People Before Profit candidate for East Derry in the upcoming Assembly election on May the 5th. Welcome Amy, and thanks for taking the time to talk to politics, culture and some other shit. I'm sure you must be very busy. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andy. It's it's great to be on. Um... I am. I'm working away here, so I'm. I'm still a student um, at Ulster University. So I've been trying to plod along with my my work there. Still, um, I'm also a mom of two. So I've got two young ones in the next room. Um, one of them <laughs> got the the chicken pox. So it's it's, oh, I, it's been busy. <laughs> yeah. So you so you're not busy enough. You've decided that you want to 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 enter politics as well. I well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really say that I want to be a politician. Um, you wouldn't catch me in sort of like a, a full pants suit like Hillary Clinton. But no, I, I thought no. I'd, I'd sort of stick myself down, and you know, we'll see what we can do up here. Brilliant! It's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm delighted. Um, I got put on to you by. I'm not going to say the dude's real name, but just in case I'm doxing him by mistake, I don't mean to. But there's a there's a guy on uh, Twitter who introduced me to you on Twitter and said I should talk to you. He's in your constituency. So he's, he's very excited that you're oh, running. Brilliant. Yeah. Love and, to hear uh, it. Yeah, yeah. He came to make, I'm a musician as well, and uh, he came to our gig on Saturday night uh, up in Port Rush, and uh, I, I got to meet him and was talking to him about you a bit, so it was really cool. Oh, um, first question really was how did you get politicized? What was your, what was your, what was your, I don't, I don't want to say earliest memory, but how did you get politicized? How, what made you do this? Um, well, I was involved a lot with um, the likes of Alliance for Choice up in Derry. Um, so we were campaigning really for the decriminalization of abortion in Northern Ireland. Um, yeah. And it was one of those things like you don't really think about it until you have to. And through that, I sort of realized, you know, like you can't really say that you're not political. Like you know, the personal is political. Um, everything that you do or you know your work, everything is political. Um, mm -hmm. I I don't want to be a politician at all. Um, but what I do want to do is you know be able to amplify like working class people's voices, ordinary people's voices up in Stormont, and you know really bring that struggle from the streets um, to the establishment parties. Yeah. Do, do, do you find that, the, would you agree with this, that the, the the general political landscape has become too professional almost? Yeah, I really do think so. Um, there isn't, you know, much scope to get, you know, people like myself. I'm I'm only 25. 
I'm still in university. Um, I've got two kids and it's one of those things that you feel like you have to be like super qualified or you have to have a lot of money in the bank or you have to have a lot of connections to really be able to make your way in the political landscape here. And like really um, what we and people before profit want to do is provide people an alternative to that sort of politics. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what age were you when you started that with the, uh, what was it, Alliance for, what was it? Alliance for Choice. Alliance um, for Choice, sorry, just escaped me there. How old I, were you when you were started with those? I I think I was, oh, COVID's done so much to my brain, just the <laughs> past couple of years have just flown in. Um, yeah. I, I, I was born um, 19 whenever I got involved, so it was shortly after I had my first child, and, you know, I just thought it was, something really important to get involved in like I would call myself a reproductive justice activist yeah that's not only like abortion that's things like you know having accessible and free childcare. you know being able to raise your children in a safe environment being able to feed clothe and keep your children warm things like that um we would also sort of look at things like IVF um and maternity care and stuff like that too yeah, it's it's one of the things that's always remarkable whenever you, from the pro-life uh, argument, they don't seem to give a shit about the baby after it's born. Yeah, that that's what we find a lot too. Um, especially, you know, you see this overlap at the minute. Um, you've got the likes of the DUP who would sit in Westminster and vote against free school meals. But, you know, whenever it comes to abortion, yeah. they won't afford the pregnant person a choice there. So... Yeah, the, on, on my podcast last week, which 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 uh, I think it was last Friday night, which goes out live on YouTube, um, one of the one of the guys was commenting about that very thing, about mm-hmm. the hypocrisy of what the DUP was voting for in Westminster, and then coming back to the streets of the north and saying to their constituents, exactly, and yeah. they they would happily prop up, you know, the likes of the energy companies, and you look at you know the the whole cash for ash scandal and things like that, they're very willing to, you know, put the money in the pockets of the big businesses. But whenever it comes to, you know, the working class and families on the ground, they'll say that there's nothing there for them. Well, Jeffrey Donaldson, 40,000 job losses, happy to yeah. see it. Doesn't mind at all. And then whenever we actually do suffer job losses, he's out there complaining and blaming everybody but himself. Yeah. And, you know, they did vote against um, Jerry Carl's trade union freedom bill yeah. there. So that was to re- repeal all of Thatcher's sort of anti-union laws um so you know they're not they're not the party of the workers and I do feel um like the likes of the bigger parties you know Sinn Féin or the DUP they stand on these very divisive issues um at the minute you've got you know the likes of the protocol and like it's I feel as if the focus is very much on the protocol rather than you know all of the other issues that people actually care about like the cost of living at the minute energy prices, childcare, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when did you decide that you wanted to stand for People Before Profit? I don't know if I really decided. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, I, I tend to find myself um, in these positions where things sort of happen accidentally, but I, I just go with the flow. Um, but I've been sort of working in the community, you know, volunteering um, with a local preschool and, yeah. you know, I've grown up here. Um, yeah. The 
the spaces have changed, um, the buildings have changed, the surroundings have changed, but the politics have not changed. And, you know, yeah. it's that, that, that whole cliche of be the change that you want to see. So I just thought, yeah. you know, why not? Like we, we, we deserve to be able to vote for, you know, who we want rather than being given the same old parties. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how's it, how's, how's the experience been so far? Um, it, it's, it's been stressful. Um, just yeah. trying, trying to balance everything. Um, I got up and got my nomination papers and all sorted in Derry there last week. And that was nice. Cause I, I got to, you know, go up and meet some of the ones in foil, which was good. Yeah. Um, getting the posters up. I can't stand election posters and <laughs> my election posters are huge. My head is massive. Um, so I had fun yesterday and we met some ones from Tyrone and had to collect my election posters and fit them in the back of my wee Ford car. So Okay. That was a fun experience too. <laughs> is is paper before profit running in more constituencies this year than yes. before? Yeah. Um we have oh we have um Sean who is standing in foil. We have um Carl Gallagher who, who's standing in um West Tyrone. And mm -hmm. then we've got um Fermanagh, South Tyrone, um Mid Ulster, South Antrim, South Down. I'm gonna forget ones here. Um We've got somebody standing in Ligon Valley as well, too. Um, I have the then... list here. Do you want me oh, to... brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So it's Belfast East, Hannah Kenny. Yeah. Belfast North, Fiona Ferguson. If I get any of these wrong, and I'm going to get this name wrong, <laughs> which is Belfast South, and it's Sefo uh, Sebanda. Yep. Is that right? Uh, Belfast West, Jerry Carroll. East, East, East Derry. It doesn't say Derry on... Wikipedia says something else. Um, Amy Murren, you. That's me. Fermanagh South Tyrone, Emmett Kilpatrick, Foyle, Sean Harkin, Lagan Valley, Amanda Doherty, Mid Ulster, Sophia McFeely, and then South Antrim, Jerry Maguire, South Down, Paul McCrory, McCrory and West Tyrone, Carol Gallagher. That's the, that's the complete um, list. You know, they're all fantastic activists. They've been with the party for a while, and it's, you know, it's great for me. Like I would have um, worked a lot with Sophia McFeely in Alliance for Choice Dairy. She does cracker TikToks. If you have the opportunity oh. to go and see them, she's okay. brilliant on the TikTok. I'll, um, I'll introduce my daughters to her. Yes, definitely do. She's hilarious. <laughs> Sophia McFeely, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you're not running an upper uh, band, my constituency. Wow. You're the, you're the we'll, only we'll one. We'll get you next time. I please do. That would be great. That would be great. Um, so, Onwards, um, did you ever? Did you have? Um, did you have any guidance in your political life and your political education? Was there any one you could refer to as maybe a mentor or anything like that? Um, oh, family, I, I, I family would, members or anything? Um, no, I wouldn't really say family. Um, I would look very much towards the likes of um, Eamon McCann and yeah. Bernadette Devlin. You know, it was hard yeah. not to whenever you're looking at sort of revolutionary socialism um, yeah. to put those names sort of at the top of the list. Um, yeah. but they're, ins they're inspirational people. I definitely. And, you know, every time I listen to the likes of Eamon or Bernadette, like I, I learn something new. And mm. I think that's that's the beauty of having them, you know, speak at events and things. Um, but other than that, you know, like for my own politics, I would just think, you know, socialism to me is just common sense. It's 
yeah. you know, looking after one another, you know, yeah. making sure everybody has their wee piece. And I just, you know, lifting as you climb. Yeah, absolutely. It's I do find that it's it when you hear the right wing argument against socialism, they always say, but it's unnatural. They, they imply that it's some sort of when in fact the opposite is true. It is the most natural thing in the world. Yeah. We're supposed to be communal. We're supposed to look after one another. And we, we're all better off for it. Exactly. Like we've seen um, even during COVID, you know, the amount of people who put their, their hands in their own pockets and were buying food for food banks and were, you know, sewing clothes for hospital workers and all that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like with all the bad that came with COVID, um, it was just great to see communities, you know, pulling together in that way. Absolutely, absolutely, it was. And yeah, uh, you're. I hope you don't mind me mentioning your age. You're, I think you're 25. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I know it's impolite to mention a lady's age. I'm a bit older than you, so <laughs> I'm, I'm. In fact, I'm twice your age. So my generation, it's impolite to mention a lady's age. But um, I've noticed uh, young people turning to the left, they're, they're becoming more polarised in general, I find. They're going to the right and to the left rather than happy to toe the the middle line. But young people across the world I'm seeing are becoming attracted to the left all over the place. Would you agree with that or do you have an op opinion on that? Um, Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, Even just within sort of I feel you can get yourself into a wee bit of an echo chamber um, with yeah. who you surround yourself with, especially on social media. Um, but like even within university and things, I found, you know, younger people to be quite left wing. And, you know, it's it, there's a quote um, from Bernadette Devlin that just comes to mind whenever I think of this. And it's, you know, we were born into an unjust system and we're not prepared to grow old in it. So we do have like younger people coming out and fighting for the climate. We've got younger people, you know, fighting for abortion rights. And um, we had them for same-sex marriage as well. So, you know, it really is um, a lot of younger people really leading the change at the minute. And, and the, the, I don't think that they can, no matter how unattractive you find politics, you cannot ignore the fact that we live in the richest countries in the world mm -hmm. and our food banks are oversubscribed. These two things, and the young people are coming out of college, universities, and they'll never own their own homes. Yeah. And they're going to, they're going to work, and they're going to work for what? what? What am I going to work for? There's nothing for me. You know, and no matter how unpolitical you are, no matter how ugly you find politics, and it can be a very ugly place, you must they will find their way into politics when you're living in a world that is that severe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? definitely. And, you know, you start you start questioning a lot of things whenever you do see um, injustices, whenever you see the fact that there's, you know, children having to go to food banks, whenever you see, you know, people living on the streets because they, they don't have, you know, a roof over their heads and things like that, you know, yeah. you, you start to notice these things and then it's, like I talk about sort of like a light bulb moment where you sort of piece everything together and it's mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, we, you know, this is all a political choice. It's, you know, yeah. we need to be able to change this. And, you know, I think having a couple of socialist voices in Stormont is a good place to start. Absolutely. 
But just to, just on a point that you made there, whenever you have that light bulb moment on your own, mm-hmm. it resonates more than rather than, you know, if you did go through a political course at university or something for four years and you come out of it a socialist, yeah. you're, you're, you're taught that stuff. But when you figure it out on your own, it'll stay with you forever. Exactly. No, I, I would totally agree with you because like I'm doing a psychology degree at the minute. Um, but even whenever like I'm looking at psychology and, you know, some some of the issues in there to do with mental health and things like that, like whilst we do need, you know, um, better access to the NHS and we need, um, you know, funding for community services and things like that, we do need to have, you know, preventative measures such as you know support for people through employment and adequate sick pay and housing and education and welfare and all that sort of thing so you do start to see that bigger picture yeah absolutely and you, you can't ignore it these days it's right that's right there in your in, yeah. front of you, in your face um so i have a question i actually had the google do- doula to see what that was i didn't know what that was <laughs> so you are and I, I was on your, your link tree, uh, Abortion Doula. Do you yes. want to explain what that is, please? Um, it, I was trained by Alliance for Choice. Um, they have an abortion doula service, and it was really um, brought into place to complement um, abortion services being rolled out in Northern Ireland in 2020, I think. Um, I'll have to double-check my dates. October <laughs> um, 2019. I... Um, and the abortion I have your article in front of me. Oh, fantastic. Um, the regulations were were put into place just as COVID hit. Um, so there was a situation there where we had no formal commissioning of services. Abortion was legal, um, but there were still people being forced to travel over to England. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because abortion became legal, there was an opportunity for women and pregnant people to get access to abortion pills safely and legally online. Um, but we wanted to be there as a support for people, you know, before, during and after their abortion. Um, yeah. Really, you know, to be a listening ear. And like, we're not going to ask people loads of questions because really it's not of anybody's business why somebody needs access to abortion services. So it's just really there to be a support for somebody. Just to support through yeah. a very harrowing, could be a very harrowing experience. I'm sure no mm-hmm. one it does that um, without thinking twice about it. Um, fair play, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from your opinion piece in Shadow Mag. Okay. It's just It's just the opening paragraph, actually. Yeah. Um, when the clock struck, struck midnight on the 22nd of October 2019, abortion rights activists in Northern Ireland embraced friends and loved ones in collective jubilation. People seeking abortions and those who have helped them were no longer criminals for doing so. Abortion was decriminalised in Northern Ireland. How far have we come since you wrote that article? Not far enough, if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, we we really do have sort of a patchwork quilt um, approach to abortion services currently at the minute. Um, in the Western Trust, there is no abortion services at all. Um, so that covers like Gary, Lamavati and stuff. Um, wow. And then um, it's currently only up to nine weeks and six days. So the first time I found out I was pregnant was, I think I was, you know, just after 12 weeks. So it's really just, 
it's not enough time um, for people to be able to sit down and, you know, make a decision that is best for them. Um, yeah. There has been some sort of movement um, with the Secretary of State. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we will have commissioned abortion services sometime soon. Um, we also had um, Claire Bailey's bill um, for the safe access zones, which passed in Stormont, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, there there is almost like a weekly ritual outside a lot of healthcare centres in the, the north at the minute with um, people standing outside and, you know, whether it's praying or oh, like God. outright pressuring people or just really? being a yeah. Being a, being a presence outside the healthcare centre, um, it's awful for staff and it's awful for patients. So, you know, it's glad, I'm glad to see that being brought through Stormont. That is staggering. I mean, because those centres do so much more than provide abortions or access to abortions, yeah. don't they? I mean, they, they do all sorts of things, right? Yeah, they're not just family planning clinics either. So it's yeah. um, the likes Imagine of wanting to plan your family. Hospital. Yeah. Imagine, how, imagine being <laughs> having the audacity to want to plan your family. I know. It's unbelievable. Um, I think I was reading there last week. I, I don't know if it was it France, maybe that made it illegal to protest or to to be even to be prepped to sort of loiter outside of an abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. Where we currently have um, with the safe access zones, it'll be sort of a certain radius outside. So you know they they will be allowed to protest further down, but as long as the entrance entrances and exits aren't blocked. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, still, yeah. it's still terrible though, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it's just beyond belief. It really is. Um, I did ask you this before I started recording, so I know what your answer is, but I'm going to read my question out anyway. Yep. Um, are you aware of a character called Rusty Thomas, who my, oh, friend, Paul said, yeah. like, my <laughs> friend Paul said he sounds like an STD? Rusty oh, Thomas. <laughs> he was a guest at the Anti-Protocol Rally in Lurgan at the weekend. So you do know who this cat is, right? Uh, yes, he turned up. Um, it was the final day of the assembly um, in Stormont, and he turned up out there. Um, I think they were debating the safe access zones bill, um, the final stage of it. So he turned up there and he did a wee sermon. And what, yeah. what, why, why is he in the north? <laughs> what, why is he here at all? Um, you... An anti-abortion group um, decided to bring him over, and he's done a lot of um, sermons in churches and stuff. There were it was so great to do a women's only sermon as well. So, <laughs> all right, he's a character. That is very um a, a very icy of him. It is it, it's it's <laughs> strange and it you know the likes of um Jeffrey Donaldson and stuff aligning himself yeah. with a character like that. I don't think it does Jeffrey any favors at all. But do, do you I mean? The political naivety that that the DUP have shown for the past number of well, you could say since forever, but this, especially this past number of years, number of years, it's been really amplified. Whenever they had the they had their throat around the Tory government's neck, whenever they were holding the balance of power to Theresa May's government, and they actually extracted nothing for that for 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 the country, and the naivety that they've shown. And now the leader of the DUP is sharing a stage with this character. Mm-hmm. It's it, unbelievable. It just shows, you know, like who, who the DUP are willing to rub shoulders with at the end of the day. And it's not for the benefit of, you know, people on the ground, people 
people who need abortions, um, LGBTQ plus people, because this fella's, you know, anti-LGBTQ. Um, you know, it's it's really not for the benefit of us. It's no. for the benefit of getting them votes and getting them back into power. It's on. It's shocking. But I, I, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I can't, I literally can't figure out what they're doing. And the only, the only natural conclusion I'm left to come to is naivety, is literal stupidity. Because all they're going to do is marginalise and isolate them, marginalise people that m- maybe are anti-protocol, maybe are very loyalisty, very unionisty. But maybe they're not Christians. Maybe they're not mm-hmm. super Christians, like this k- character supposed to be. And when he shares a platform with the supposed leader of Ulster Unionism, this mental case. I've got mm-hmm. his th- I've got his thing up here on my screen. He's the leader of Operation Save America, and they believe nine eleven happened because America supports abortion. They believe gay conversion therapy is a Christian act of love, not hate. Mm-hmm. And abortion, not racism, is the cause of police brutality. Yeah, it's <laughs> not great, is it? <laughs> what is the leader of the the of Ulster Unionism doing? You wouldn't be seen dead with this guy. I would say they would probably have like the likes of Mister Blobby or something up in the the, the stage with them too. If they could. More, more credibility if they had. They'll get support, you, you know, where they can. They're really they're struggling it's, at the minute. They really are. I think they I think they're and the, the way that they're they've just reverted to um the the, the green and orange politics. Mm-hmm. But I have a question about that actually later on, so I won't I won't uh, kill the lead as I say. Mm-hmm. So a few more questions. This is a bit broader now. Um, what is people before profits position on Ukraine? Our position. So if this refers to the clapping or lack of clapping in the doll, um. Yeah. I, I which, well, which, by the way, I just I'll just let I agree with. I I understood that perfectly, but if you want to explain it, that would be great. Yeah, no bother. Um, so obviously we do condemn Russia and we do condemn Putin. Um, yeah. we have done so at every opportunity. Like take the the G eight at Locker, and I think that was in twenty thirteen. Um, we had protests there against Putin. Um, we have always been an anti-war party and stood up for the ordinary people based in areas of conflict. Um, so similarly with Brexit, there seems to be no nuance in this situation, no sort of wiggle room, no different perspectives. Absolutely. Um, it's either Putin or Zelensky, the EU or Johnson and Farage, you know, yeah. we, we take things like this from the position of the working class, you know, from ordinary people who have lost their lives because of the decisions that are made by these governments. Um, we obviously support refugees and aid workers in Ukraine, but we also support the anti-war movement in Russia, um, where they do have real power there to be able to oust Putin. Um, we don't believe the current programme of sanctions are working. Um, Western governments obviously will protect their own interests, whilst they're sort of posturing as these governments of principle. Um, and, you know, our worry is that sanctions that are put on ordinary people in Russia will, you know, push this anti-war movement into Putin's hands, really. Um, and as well, the fact that 
you know, Russia does not want to be integrated with Europe, um, unlike Israel, where, you know, the boycott, divest and sanction movement that was sort of drafted up by um, Palestinians on the ground, it, it won't be as impactful um, on the likes of Putin's purse. Um, and then another thing um, would be that we, we do find it a wee bit concerning that Zelensky has banned opposition parties, you know, like left parties in Ukraine, um, which is just undemocratic. Um, and obviously, you know, we believe in de-escalation um, to prevent any sort of chemical or nuclear war. So basically safe routes for refugees and support for Ukraine to build back. And we don't want to see any any more posturing or anything that's going to put, you know, working class people, ordinary people in these countries, you know, at risk. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, I agree completely. That's exactly my position. And mm-hmm. I've I've um I've been talking a lot about Ukraine in my podcast in the in the previous well since it started really. But I held off a couple of weeks before I I I started to talk about it because it was apparent to me there was a there seemed to me to be a mass hypnosis going on. Yeah. There, there was no nuance, is the word you used. There was no context. There was no uh, Vladimir Putin woke up and one day I just decided to invade Ukraine. There was no mention of the fact that Ukraine had been bombing Ukraine for eight years, killing 14,000 of its own citizens, amassing soldiers on the border and, you know, moving them into that region. And there was so much going on. It was, and the people, and ultimately, exactly as you said, it's the working class people of Ukraine and Russia that are going to be affected and mm-hmm. that's the lens through which I see it. And every time I open my mouth, I always had to say, I do not support you, uh, Russia. I do not like Vladimir Putin. I'm not giving them cover. I'm not a Putin puppet. I'm, I don't, I'm not reading from a Moscow script. You know, there's so much more to this. And the very idea that you think the US gives a shit about the working class people of the Ukraine when they don't give a shit about the working class people in their own country is staggering to me. After we witnessed every war this past in your in your in your lifetime and my lifetimes combined, Aye. it's just been started on a lie after a lie after a lie, and always proven to be a lie after the fact, and then we just waltz happily into this new one. And if you ask a question about it, you're shout it down. Yeah, and like we've seen, you know. The absolute devastation that the likes of the UK and the US have left in Afghanistan. You know, we are currently bombing Yemen as well. You know, we we have played a huge role in these conflicts and the fact that people are just sort of willing to wash their hands off it and point the finger at, well, Russia's doing this big bad thing now. You know, it's it's just I feel like it's pretty disingenuous. Um so as a party, you know, we we will be anti-war, anti-Putin, yeah. anti-imperialism, you know, Absolutely. whenever we need to be. Yeah, and and uh, I, I, I applaud your your party for taking that stance because there's, there's not enough doing it, I feel. And to just to point out nuance, to point out hypocrisy is yeah. not to support war. Exactly. Yeah. So um, thanks for that answer. Uh what would people, now I'm asking this question in the context of the greater 
the, the bigger things with uh, so what would people before profit do about the current cost of living crisis on a grander scale is there anything i'm sort of thinking about nationalization and uh, taking back um national assets and things like Hi. that um well obviously the cost of living at the minute it's not something that was an unpredictable blip um we have been screaming about this for months if not a couple of years um it's been a political choice mm-hmm. it's not a cost of living crisis for mps or mlas or ceos of big corporations or the big energy businesses so yeah. um like we don't have the likes of boris johnson coming straight in the door whenever he's home from work and you know sticking three or four layers on like i'm doing every evening yeah. um but it's a cost of living crisis for all of us who have struggled over the past couple of years so we have been um suggesting a one thousand pound um grant really um to support those outside of the richest 25 percent and there will be people who will say you know where's all the money coming for, for this um we were thrilled i think on good morning ulster and stuff like that as well um but there is money there and we've been shown that money is there you know the likes of gordon lyons was willing to give out 100 pounds to every person over 18 to support businesses um so whilst that's welcome for you know small businesses you know ordinary people they do need money in their pocket um we also would support a 15 pound minimum wage for workers and whenever i'm talking about small businesses you know we need to have support um for small businesses so that they can pay a minimum um 15 pound uh, minimum wage um and then as well um we are very much a party of you know supporting people to take what's theirs if that makes any sense um so we have obviously been out on the picket lines with workers across the north um the likes of unite um nipsa ucu um recently and there's so many unions at the moment who are balloting to strike um so we believe that workers deserve better rights they deserve um better protections and the ability to take strike action whenever they need to um so we had um, Jerry Carl's trade union freedom bill there um, that came up in Stormont a few weeks ago that was unfortunately voted down. Um, and then, you know, the big thing at the moment is to have a windfall tax on the energy companies who are reporting huge profits at the expense of, you know, ordinary people. I think they think we can't see them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the um, if you, if you would, uh, my idea would be, if you wanted to, you could take this as your own. You could put it in your manifesto. <laughs> it would be awesome. Um, nationalize one energy company, one of them, and that that will act as a market leveler for all the mm-hmm. rest. Because we know that so much of this cost of living crisis, so called cost of living crisis, is manufactured. Yeah. And as as you've just pointed out, we can see their profits. We can see their 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 share buybacks, their bonuses, and all that happening right in front of our very okay. eyes. Meanwhile, they're telling us, "Yeah, you need to uh, cut your cloth to suit." I uh, well, we're we're being told, you know, to just layer up and everything. But it's you know, the owners of those businesses there aren't doing what we're doing. You know, it's it is like I would say it as class war. You know, it's. It's pretty people, people on the very bottom who are already struggling, 
put them into you know poverty like and it's it's completely you know politically orchestrated and you know the fact that we we've had an opportunity to really nip this in the bud um before dormant recess um at the start of i think it was over the christmas holidays um we um asked for a hardship emergency to be declared and there was no movement there was no political will or anything so you know whenever people come knocking at your doors talking about the the cost of living crisis where were they then yeah yeah absolutely that's 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 it um it's it's such a i i find the whole cost of living it's 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 like this thing where you know they're now trying to palm it off and blame it on the the russian and russian invasion mm-hmm. of the of ukraine which we all know isn't the reason it's nothing mm-hmm. it's not that it's nothing to do with it but obviously it started before that martin lewis the money saving expert i'm sure you've seen his grilling of a few tories um he's he's he the last article i read by him he was saying that you you've actually brought the country to the stage of of open revolution and this is a middle class polite English guy saying this. I mean, yeah. if it's got, if the message has traveled that far up that grapevine, you know, it is, it is serious. It is bad. If people like Martin Lewis are openly using the word revolution. <laughs> I, but we, you know, we have seen people just taking it upon themselves to get on the streets. Like we have had um, workers coming out on strike, but we've also had the likes of Jerry against fuel poverty. I don't know if you've seen Sinead, she was on um, Sunday politics there. Um, no. yesterday she's absolutely brilliant um she she's a proper fighter and like she has been doing great work organizing people in Derry to come out and you know stand up for themselves at the end of the day and hold the parties to account and hold these companies to account for what they're doing to the people of Derry but also the people across the north yeah absolutely brilliant okay so if you're okay with it, I did ask some people on social media to give me some questions for you. Can yeah. we do that? Yeah. Um, okay, so the first question is from Bren Christor. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, the DUP's perennial strategy of scaremongering about a UI seems to be working as it wins back swathes of its voters. What are the people before profit doing to appeal specifically to long-time DUP, UUP voters? Is there a strategy to appeal to Protestant voters who haven't voted before? It's quite a broad question if you want to tackle that one. Hi, well, um, I'm up here um, on the North Coast and I like to call sort of, as you come up the ban, you've got this sort of the the Northern Irish Bible Belt, as I like to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, So we we do sort of live in a bit of a DUP stronghold. Um, but really, like what people before profit are doing at the moment, you know, because we are activists, we are, you know, community workers, we know the struggles on the ground and, you know, either side of the political divide, wherever you sit yourself, the, la- the likes of, you know, the energy companies, they're going to profit off you equally. You know, we like we are sort of across the divide. Um, equally um what's the word equally exploited equally exploited about by the likes of you know the elites um the energy companies you know big business yeah. um and like 
we we would have a very good sort of track record and supporting workers and supporting struggles like the struggle for abortion rights, same-sex mar- marriage, um, and support for banning conversion therapy and things like that. So, you know, there there is scope to pick up a few votes there because, you know, the issues are the same, either side, green or orange. The issues are exactly, that's, that's, that's the thing, you know, the green and orange issue is something that's used to divide us. But whenever you boil it down, a, a, a working class Protestant that can't get a hospital appointment is mm-hmm. exactly the same issues as a working class Catholic or nationalist that can't get a hospital appointment. And that is the most important thing after all. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, you know we would advocate for working class unity rather than this sort of, what, how many years of sectarian division that's sort of been promoted by you know the the two main parties and you know the nationalist and unionist divide in Stormont. so um yeah. it's it's great to have the rise of the other designation but also it would be great to have the rise of a, a socialist designation as well yeah couldn't agree more um so next question is uh, from john ross mcmahana and you, you can't address this one mm-hmm. but i'll read it out anyway it, do they regret breaking back? Well, you didn't. The first point you didn't answer, so you can maybe answer that. Mm-hmm. Do they regret backing Brexit? And why do they continue to be less than equivocal in the condemning of the Russian invasion of Ukraine? I'll try and answer the wee Brexit, but um, yep. for full transparency, um, whenever I voted in uh, the referendum, I was, I think I was 19, maybe, um, I voted to remain. But I simply voted to remain because I didn't think that I had enough information on the EU or all the issues to really, you know, make an informed choice. And I think that was the same, you know, whether you were on the leave side or the remain side. Um, But I would say that, you know, we impose imperialism by London or by Brussels and sort of all these neoliberal reforms that they may implement. we disagree completely with, you know, this this leave vote that was propped up by anti-immigration and racist rhetoric, um, sort of proposed by the likes of Nigel Farage, and we would like really distance ourselves from him. Um, but Very we also nice. <laughs> we also um, believe that the EU has treated asylum seekers absolutely abysmally. Um, they want to sort of fortify their own walls, but we believe that, you know, we on this island should be welcoming to everyone and that we should have safe routes and travel for anybody who wants to come and live here. Um, and on that note, um, you know, freedom of movement on this island is crucial. Um, but I would also like to highlight the common travel area. So that wee bit around the border, um, yeah between North and South, um, where if you are from a minority group, um, if you're a black and ethnic minority, you will be targeted for searches by the Garda or by the PSNI. Um, so overall, we don't we don't regret supporting Brexit, yeah. but we do regret how the debate sort of played out in the media. And it was really between two Tory leaders. Um, it's happened now. Um, it's sort of in the past. But we will do everything we can to oppose a Tory Brexit. That would mean, you know, yeah. hardship for people in the north. Yeah, yeah. The the 
something you said there at the beginning, you, you know, your own personal vote at the time you were 19, you weren't aware of all the issues. It's a, mm-hmm. Nobody was. Yeah. Nobody knew what they were voting for. It was too open-ended. It wasn't a proper referendum. And it, um, was, it was just a power struggle between, yeah. you know, two Tory leaders, really. Yeah, that's like, it. It was, it was a... Land, it was now, we've got Bojo... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was a, it was a, it was English nationalism raising his head. The ERG yeah. trying to arm wrestle the so-called moderates in the Tories, of which there are none. But I remember, I remember Enda Kenny warning the Tories. Enda Kenny when he was uh, Tisha, mm-hmm. you know, because he could, see, we could all see the direction of travel, and he warned David Cameron, warned, "Don't, you, you, what, what about Ireland? What about the border?" And it was never way back then. Nothing yeah, was done so we were it. always just over here, just sort of an afterthought, sort of like, well, we'll get round to that. We'll get round to yeah. that. And, you know, that, like, yeah. that's what really, you know, burned me about the whole campaign was like both sides, they didn't, they didn't care about over here at all. No, no, they really didn't. And yeah, and that, that should bring us on to, that brings us on neatly to the next question from uh, Peter Graham, who's one of my best buddies and uh, Rudy for my band. <laughs> um, what would People Before Profit's vision for a new self-governing 36 County Ireland look like? Um, probably a bit like, um, you know, that section that you did on your podcast last week about um, the gods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, we are against division and borders. Um, and I do like, I do believe the Protestant loyalist and unionist community are right to be sceptical when it comes to a border poll because you know you look at the south it's it's a tax haven it's got its own housing crisis and problems with healthcare and you know the role of religion in you know education and in healthcare as well um but we have seen with covid the best solution for this island was to implement the same legislation north and south and we need to work on that you know on an all-island basis whenever it comes to the climate crisis like no matter you know Whenever you see on the weather um, in the south or, you know, up here, you like there's a whole big section of the island that is, you know, sort of like forgotten about. It's like weather doesn't stop at the border. Um, but, you know, we have the likes of cross-border movements such as, you know, the Repeal the Eighth campaign, which have shown what we as an island can do together. Um, so really... Yeah. Ideally, um, we would love to have a 32-county socialist Ireland, you know, with adequate public housing, education, access to childcare, um, a national health service um, with adequate, adequately paid staff, um, yeah. and to put an end, really, to the tax haven Ireland um, and ensure that, at the end of the day, planet and people are put um, before profit. Um, also, there's things we can do at the minute to improve that. Um, so, like, for example, extending public transport into the West and improving access for rural communities, I think would make a huge difference to people's lives. And, you know, like we were talking about Brexit there, um, it can be another vote where working classes and, you know, that, that alternative, um, more nuanced voice is ignored because I think whenever we're talking about um, a border poll, you don't hear any of sort of like the left-wing voices. You hear Sinn Féin, you hear the DUP, and it's sort of like a battle between themselves while we're all just sitting here. (laughs) Yeah. 
It, well, yeah, it is actually that is what it is, and then that. But it it is a particularly this running to an election. It is a fraught uh, time, and people that don't have anything to offer. I'm talking specifically about the DUP here. Uh, tend to retreat to the trenches that they've known so well over the years that's returned them to power over and over again. You know, and although obviously you're, you're I'm not defend, not here to, to defend anybody, not even people before profit, but Sinn Féin does have a, w w one of the things that I do appreciate, and it's an argument that I hate to hear, is we can't afford this. But yeah. Sinn Féin have this costed out, and others have this costed out as well, not just Sinn Féin, but they are one of the political parties that are running, obviously, so I mentioned them. But the, 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 this notion that we can't afford this is a complete load of shit. Mm -hmm. We can be do better than afford this. We will be better off for this. You know, and so where will we get the money to fund our hospitals and our education system and our elder care and our mental health services and all the care in the community that we need? It's all there to be done. We just don't give it to the rich people anymore. We spend it on ourselves. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it is sort of about, um, you know, this whole tax the rich um, mentality. But like in the South, you have, you know, businesses that are evading tax left, right and centre, you know. Yeah. And the money is there and we know it's there. It's just about putting it in the right places. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I do take heart from people like you and I don't, I don't mean to mention it twice in the in in this podcast, but your your young age, and I do get a lot of heart from the fact that you, the younger generations are coming through, and they're not accepting the status quo. It seems to me. Yeah, you know? um, we we don't have all the answers, but like, no. what what we think we are is, you know, we're willing to work for it. We're willing to put the work in, have conversations like this with people, and you know, work towards a better future for everybody. Yeah, brilliant. Um, my friend John McKeever, one of my old buddies, um, he thinks that uh, we should also annex the Isle of Man <laughs> so that we can have the TT in Ireland. Um, their, their abortion laws aren't great either, last time I checked, so it might oh. be worth doing. Yeah, then we, they need our help. <laughs> um, so... Next question comes from Elpener Dignam, who is the person that put me onto you in the first place, by the way. And again, yeah. I don't want to mention his name in case I'm doxing him. I, I, it's, I'm sure I'm not, but I've, I've, I've got no permission to, <laughs> to, to, if someone's using a pseudonym, I've no permission to not use that. So I'm not mm -hmm. going to. Um, gentrification is a huge issue on the North Coast. Oh, yes. As local families kicked out of long-term rentals to make way for golfers' homes, and Airbnbs. Little interest from existing MLAs as their property owners themselves. What's Amy going to do? Um, well, I'm a renter myself um, mm -hmm. and I only got this house where I'm living at um, by luck. Um, so once my landlord decides to kick me out, I, I don't think I'll have a place on the North Coast anymore, unfortunately, because it is a fantastic place to grow up. Like I've I lived here my whole life um, yeah. and you know, the lack of affordable housing up here is a huge issue, but... And social housing everywhere. Yep. Um, most most houses up here are the likes of student rentals and holiday lets, which are, for landlords, they would see that as, you know, your most profitable markets. Um, somebody who is living in a private rental for five years, you know, they're not as profitable as for students in a house. You're getting, you know, 
four rents a week like um our wages are the lowest in the uk but our house prices and rent are extremely high um particularly in the north coast Mm. um so we've seen the likes of the dup and Sinn fein um their attempts to privatize the housing executive but we believe it's important to have an accountable public body to provide um social housing for people but we also believe that you know you see all these lovely big houses on the north coast but you also see a load of derelict vacant properties so the likes of these sort of older housing stock they need to be taken into public ownership um and have a more sustainable housing model um and as well as that we need to look at you know different life stages at different ages or abilities you need different housing so as you grow older your house needs to be able to work for you um if you have a child with disabilities or if you are disabled yourself your house has to work for you so um yeah i would one of those things that you can do at the minute is join a renters union um and know your rights whenever it comes to renting your house um and as well as that you know whenever it comes to the likes of airbnbs and things um we need to um have tax on income that is you know not related to labor so for example in housing that is vacant that would be like um plus sort of after six months there would be rent charged and then after one year that property would come back into um, public ownership. And um, yeah, I feel like whenever it comes to housing as well, um, whenever I was talking about, you know, making it work for you, um, there needs to be greater, you know, planning and democracy and community um, involvement in planning of housing projects um, with the likes of like public transport, um, schools, access to green spaces and also like if we're talking about court rush court rush needs a skate park full stop um yeah but, and lurgan lurgan need one my daughter uh, needs one <laughs> oh definitely but yeah um you know it it has gotten to the stage now where it's not a radical demand to ask for um sort of housing justice and a right for everybody Sorry, oh, my child's okay. chicken That's pots. okay. That's okay. <laughs> chicken pots. Take your there time. You go. There you go. <laughs> we'll get you sorted. There you go. Somebody has to go for an oat bath after this. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Poor thing. I know. Um, but yeah. Um, I that's that's yeah. really good. Um, the the I I was on the, well I. I from last week's episode, I actually went through all the manifestos, mm-hmm. sort of skimmed them on the on the podcast, and I uh, it was sort of a competition to see who had the best website. And people before profit won it. That they is were, quite nice. <laughs> they were ranked number one. Absolutely everything. So if you have a specific question about people before profit housing policy and you want more detail, go onto the website. I couldn't recommend it anymore. Some of the websites weren't so good for the political parties, but the people before profits was great. Sinn Fein's was good. Ian two I ranked them as third because they had a shop and you could buy a key ring. So I thought oh, that yeah. was important. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, was it, there was another there was another comment under under my thing on Twitter that got a com a, a guy called Stevie G said mm-hmm. people I, was, I asked him questions and he said the Mickey Mouse 
the Mickey Mouse no mandate worthwhile party who supported Brexit. I asked him, did he have a question? And he didn't. So I just thought I'd read that out. Very helpful. Thank you, Stevie. Um, So, well, we'll 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 wrap this up we'll, we'll just Hi. blast through the last couple here real quick if you don't mind i know you've yes. got a child there obviously that needs your attention uh, do you ever go to sandino's uh yes i i would frequent sandino's good we're playing there on friday just not okay. for it. <laughs> people before profit endorses the bonnevilles playing sandino's on friday um no they don't i'm only joking um are you going to watch Dairy Girls when it airs next week? Um, of course. I think it's out on Tuesday. It's Tuesday, it's is it? Tuesday, yep. So that's that's my partner's birthday. So we'll be watching Dairy Girls. I awesome. Very excited. My wife worked on it. Oh, um, fantastic! Yeah, it was, it was one of the hardest weeks work she's ever done. She says. <laughs> um, and finally, I should have sent this to you uh, at the start to give you a chance to think about it. But so I'm just going to hit you with this and. If you can't think of anything, it's okay. Do you have any cultural recommendations for us? Books, movies, music, anything like that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh. Anything I would I would say um, I'm going to see Phoebe Bridgers and Mitski um, in June. So after all the elections are done, I'll have a big a big shindig um, whenever I go to see Phoebe Bridgers and Mitski. So what is, what is that, a movie? No, um, music. Oh, they're both, they're both singers. So, oh, what? There you go. I never heard of them. Definitely give them a listen. Definitely, I will. Thank you very much. That's fantastic. So that covers the cultural bit from a podcast because <laughs> I always forget it. <laughs> I well, I I was raised on sort of um the Clash and Blondie and the Sex Pistols. So my oh. my dad was a punk. So I got a good upbringing. Oh, fantastic! We're going to see the next gig. We're going to we're going to see a Kia Tempest. Uh, in the uh, Cathedral Quarter, is it the Cathedral Quarter Arts Festival? I'm not sure, but she's playing uh, Raider Square. Not, yeah, Raider Square in Belfast. Mm-hmm. As my wife is a huge fan, okay. so uh, so he's. Uh, I think sorry, pronouns. I get those wrong all the time, so I'm not going to say any more. Um, so there we go, Amy. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me again. It was great. Not at all. I hope it wasn't too scary for you. Um, best of luck in the election. Thank you. I will, I will try my best. I'm sure you'll see my, my big head on a lamppost somewhere. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and good, good, good luck with the posters. I'm sure you'll do fantastically well. And I can't commend you enough for, for putting your head above the park because you go out there and do this. It's absolutely fantastic. And I know um, there's more than one or two that are excited to have a proper socialist to vote for this election. Oh, Thank you very much. You're right. Okay, everybody. That was Amy Murren, who uh, is running for election in East Derry in the upcoming uh, election, May the 5th. So make sure you're on the, the electoral road for that. So thanks, Amy, again, and goodbye, everybody.